1: Hello and welcome to the latest Road to Istanbul podcast here on the Blood Red channel. I'm Guy Clark and alongside me, Dan Kay, as of course, we continue to retrace Liverpool's steps to the 2005 Champions League final, 15 years on the Reds, of course, hoping to get back to Istanbul this time around. Coming up today, we're going to look towards the second leg with Bayer Leverkusen in the last 16. Liverpool with a 3-1 advantage, travelling to Germany to take on the beaten 2002 finalists, with history, of course, having seen Liverpool take on the Germans only three years previously. As I say, Guy Clark here to talk you through what went on that evening over in Germany and alongside me, Dan K. Dan, how are you keeping?
0: I'm all right, Guy. Yourself?
1: Yeah, not bad. And uh, of course, we were here three weeks ago talking ahead of obviously Liverpool playing... uh, Atletico Madrid at this stage, of this time around, they've got work to do, but wasn't the situation that they had in hand back in 2005?
0: Yeah, well, it, you know, if you look back at you know, Liverpool's history in the European Cup over the or Champions League over the last 10 to 15 years, there's probably not been too many occasions when the tie has been over after the first, I suppose you could say, the Porto 5-0 Last sixteen and twenty eighteen, I think that was. But yes, all too often it's you know it's been very much half term, half time in the tie, and similarly, similarly to where Liverpool find themselves this time around with obviously a one goal deficit to overcome against the Diego Simeone side on Wednesday night. Um, Liverpool travelled to Germany at this stage fifteen years ago. Knowing very much that there was still a little bit of work to do and really there was that frustration that on the back of the first leg when we went into stoppage time of the first leg with Liverpool holding what looked like a pretty commanding 3-0 lead, conceded that very soft goal in the, very, the dying seconds of the first leg and I don't think I was alone in, in really having a certain sense of trepidation that that could prove to be a pivotal moment in the tie.
1: Yeah, it was beginning to become clearer as well as at this stage. Obviously, from last time we were speaking, we mentioned that late goal, of course, and the impact it would have on Liverpool's mindset heading to Germany, not being a three-goal lead, but rather a two-goal lead with having conceded an away goal. But since then, straight off the back of that was... A trip down to Cardiff for the Carling Cup, I think it was called back then. League mm. Cup final with Chelsea. Obviously, it was Mourinho-Benitez. It was really, obviously, there'd been the, the, the rivalry sort of bubbling under as it was already, but it was the infamous Jose shushing the fans. Yeah. And that, obviously, defeat in extra time, it was a pulsating League Cup final in a time where probably the League Cup final was respected certainly by these two clubs Mm. two managers eager to come in in their first year and win silverware but having lost that game, there was now an indication and a growing indication that this was the competition that Liverpool were, were sort of resting their hats on because things weren't going their way in the league, though they obviously weren't going to give up on that.
0: No, I mean, it, it, you know, Liverpool had been facing a, a battle to, to get fourth place and what really an uphill battle for most of the season. They were still trailing Everton and, and shortly after this second game, there was a, a crucial return derby at Anfield that was always going to be huge in terms of clawing the Blues back. It was, you know, I, I think you're right in saying that the... Um, you know, the League Cup final back then probably held a little bit more weight th- than than what it does now, particularly because, you know, as you mentioned, both managers, Mourinho and uh, Benitez, were new to the role, wanting to kind of get, you know, get the first blow in, so to speak. And, and it was it was a fr- very frustrating defeat for Liverpool that day. We, we scored in the first minute through John Arnurisa. Um It was a tough game. Chelsea were uh, obviously the better side. This was the season that they won the league by an absolute canter, first year under Mourinho. And yeah, you know, we we got. To, I think it was about twelve minutes f- before the end. It, it was certainly you know very much in the last quarter when Steven Gerrard unfortunately got his head to a free kick and skimmed on into his own net, which obviously giving the narrative. That really was a very a strong theme throughout this two thousand and four five campaign. That Chelsea were very interested in him. Yeah. and wanted to bring him to Stamford Bridge. Um, Liverpool, you know, kept tried to stay tough through extra time, but Chelsea's power with the likes of Drogba. And I think Kesman scored a goal as well. Antonio Nunes pulled one back just towards the end of. Who were beaten three two, and it was a t- it was a tough defeat to take that because you know Liverpool had really put everything into it. And on another day with a bit more of luck might have might have come away with the win um, the weekend after we travelled up to the northeast and were beaten 1-0 by a spectacular Laurent Robert free kick for Newcastle which again didn't do our Champions League uh, hopes through the league qualification any, any help at all so even if you know this was similar time of year to what it is now early March there was already starting to, to to become you know a, a train of thought that if Liverpool want to play Champions League football in two thousand five six they might have to win the trophy, um, and bearing in mind as we as we said in the last in the last pod in, in this series how it was such a stop start season for Liverpool that you know defensively there were still a lot of problems that they were so inconsistent um, I wouldn't say there was any massive confidence that uh, how realistic that was but. After the initial disappointment of that late away goal in the first leg, I think by the time the second leg came around, um, most people were kind of getting themselves into, the, you know, having to remind themselves, well, hang on, we've got a 3-1 lead here. I think before the first leg, you know, nearly everyone would have taken 3-1. So it was a case of trying to go into that into that away leg with a, a positive attitude. Although I have to say, as a supporter, it, 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 back in these days, didn't travel to too many European aways. I had so little faith in Liverpool getting through that I actually... Uh, made sure I, w- I wouldn't be able to watch the match that night, and decided to play football instead. And um, I wouldn't say I, I, I regretted it afterwards because I'm very much one of these kind of superstitious folk that kind of think, well, if I had have watched it, we might have got beat. But uh, it was a very pleasant surprise, as we as as we'll get into into some detail that the thankfully the evening did go Liverpool's way.
1: Yeah, the games before as you said that already the the League Cup final, the, the Carling Cup final, and then the Newcastle game, which to some listening, it, for me, it's a game that immediately makes me think of the big screen, the movie cameras of being Newcastle 1, Liverpool 0, Laurent Robert scoring. And for those of a certain age, myself included, I think it's the goal that Santiago Munez scores in the uh, the famous goal movie uh, when he's (laughs) playing for Newcastle United. And this, though, for Liverpool was a season that obviously would lead to sort of epic drama that would be befitting of the big screen itself. But for me, the Champions League run, and this was sort of the time where it really did begin to come into its own for me, watching from the outside and seeing how Liverpool went on this great journey was the pressure was all about the league campaign because going into the game with Bayer Leverkusen, Liverpool had had this game in hand for a long, long time throughout the league campaign. But on this night, they were eight points behind Everton who would secure fourth and sat in fourth in the the table. As you say, Merseyside Derby was looming and that seemed as where all the pressure was. And then in Europe, it was like the pressure valve was released, and all of a sudden, you saw these technical players who, at times, as you say, going Showed up to Newcastle, yeah, yeah. They, they would go to difficult places and they would be a bit flaky and loose. Yet these European nights, where you would think that would then come to the fore, mm. the pressure valve was let off, and all of a sudden, they played some of their best football.
0: Yeah, I think there may well be something in that. I mean, it was it was always going to be a tough first season for for Benitez because even the Liverpool. Would, secured fourth the following, uh, the previous season, in Jared Houdet's last campaign in charge, it was a difficult season. It was clear that kind of his project was coming towards the end. And, you know, whenever any new manager comes in, particularly one with us with such a strong, as we went on to discover, such a strong idea about football and how a, how a club and a squad should go about the business, it's transition, isn't it? And it's never going to be seamless. And and it it certainly wasn't that season, but yeah, I I do think that there's there's a very you know it's fair to say that as that season went on, the cup exploits and you know know, Liverpool played in the League Cup final when one was the 27th of February, so right you know virtually into spring, and obviously the fact that Europe was ticking along, I think maybe did act as a kind of like a little bit of escapism for them and give them an opportunity to, without stereotyping too much the you know, European games do are played at a slightly different tempo yeah. than Blood and Thunder Premier League matches. And some of these players, the likes of Garcia and Alonso and Cissé and others that, that had come in, maybe just found themselves a little bit, while they were still finding their feet and getting to grips with the different standards and demands of the English game, having Europe ticking over probably was very beneficial to them. And that's why, you know, another of the reasons why it was really important that Liverpool would find a way to somehow get through this tie. And I think, you know, probably just to kind of slightly pad out my own kind of viewpoint going into the game. I'm not normally that lily-livered when it comes to getting behind my team because, you know, no one's got a divine right to win and any game could be tough. I think my mindset at the time, probably that of quite a few other Liverpool supporters, was very much conditioned by the fact that we'd played Leverkusen, as you mentioned at, at the start, only three seasons before in the Champions League, this stage in the quarterfinals. And even though that was actually Liverpool's first ever Champions League campaign, may well have been Leverkusen as well, I'm not too sure. There was very much an expectation that that we should get past them, you know, that we should we should get through to the semis. And having one one nil in the first leg at Anfield and then being in a very strong position one uh, one at one point in the second leg and then also three to, uh, three two up with only a few minutes to go, they they managed to find a way to lose it and, and lost quite quite disappointingly. And I think that was one of the reasons why that that very, very late goal in the first leg Felt so damaging when, in reality, taken just in the context of that ninety minutes, it wouldn't have been so bad. It was what it was because it had come on the back of Leverkusen three years before, and I, I don't imagine I was the only Liverpool fan to think, "Oh, flipping here we go again."
1: No, and even though going into the game, Leverkusen were a side who, obviously, two thousand two, then had gone on and reached the final, but they were a side even in two thousand four five who did have pedigree before this game. In terms of home matches, they'd seen off Real Madrid, they'd seen off Roma, they'd seen off Dynamo Kiev, so actually going to Leverkusen with Mm. only a two-goal lead and having conceded an away goal, Mm. it was as precarious as a 3-1 lead could be. It probably did fall slightly into that bracket, which was why it was so crucial, I suppose, that Liverpool did start fast in this.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you know, and they, they still had some some top players. I think the likes of Michael Balak had, had moved on by that yeah. stage, but they still had um, Carson Ramelow, Landon Donovan, obviously went on to play for Everton, um, Dimitar Berbatov up front, um, and and European experience, you know, particularly in the knockout stages. Of you know, it's also also worth pointing out that after they knocked us out in the two thousand two quarters, they knocked out Manchester United in the semi final. Finals, which again was a big shock. I don't think anyone would have would have predicted that. And then ran Real Madrid very very close in the final, yeah, did, yeah. only lost two one. I remember a young Iker Casillas Ike making a string of late saves just to, to see Madrid over the line. So you know, it, it seems strange to say now, fifteen years on, but you know this was only Liverpool's third ever Champions League campaign. And even though obviously we have the the, the it was two thousand and five, there was the heritage of you know the four wins between seventy seven and eighty four. Liverpool were not a modern European power at that time. So there was a kind of, even though there's a part that thinks, well, we're Liverpool, we should be rolling the likes of Leverkusen over easily. Looking at it in in more critical footballing experience eyes, they probably had a bit more in the locker than us. So there was a fair degree of apprehension, shall we say, going into the tie that away from home, and as well as Liverpool played at Anfield, if Leverkusen really turned the screw away from home, would Liverpool be able to, would Liverpool be able to handle it and deal with it? Um, and as we as we will go on to find out, thankfully they were.
1: Yeah, and I suppose before we just get into the match, I suppose this year and this run for Liverpool something we not really touched on in this series was the significance of this season for English football because obviously English football had seen a ban on European competition during obviously the, the end of the old First Division and start of the Premier League era. Then United had obviously won the European Cup, the Just Champions League. Just before the League. Premier League, yeah, the yeah, yeah, ban ended 91. Yeah, 91 well, yeah. 90. Really. And it was... But it was... In terms of the impact it still had, it wasn't until sort of the... the no, ...mid late 90s that you then saw sides beginning, and Manchester United primarily, beginning to go deeper in the Champions League. 99, of course, they won it, but that was really a rare foray on the European yeah. front for English sides in the Champions League. Yet after 2005 you begin to see a flurry of sides going on to semi-finals and uh, numerous teams. Obviously, 2008, we have an all-English final. But just that sort of context of the Champions League, it had been a bit of a closed shop. It had really been the champions who Mm. were in the European Cup as it was then rebranded Champions League. And it was the few years before this, the competition had been expanded. And yet then Liverpool fair to say, not one of the stellar sides in the competition. Go on this run, go and win the competition. And it does really sort of open up how, I suppose, we now perceive the Champions League, because going into this season on list of priorities, getting into Europe was a big priority. But mm. I don't think many clubs were really thinking we're going to go all out to win the tournament. You're in it and you want to win it, yeah. but it wasn't the goal like, say, for example, Jurgen Klopside, side. If they can't get past Atletico Madrid, it will be seen as... Oh, well, that was one of the, the top things that we wanted to win this season.
0: Yeah, I, 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 think that, I think that's entirely fair. I mean, you know, Liverpool Football Club, as a supporter, you're always kind of, you grown up instilled in you that, yeah. you know, we should win every game we play, we should compete for every trophy that we do. But for, I suppose for someone of my age, you know, early 40s, who started, you know, really started getting into things really deeply in the early 90s as Liverpool kind of started to fall off their perch, to use Alex Ferguson's immortal phrase. And I think it's, you know, I'd say in those first couple of Champions League seasons in the early 2000s, there was I think my kind of mindset going into it was great to be in there. Let's get to the knockouts. If we get to the knockouts, then you kind of think, well, we've kind of punched our way to anything beyond that is a bonus. We did go out of the group stage in 2002 and that was a disappointment. Obviously on the back of having got to the the quarters the year before. And I think at the start of two thousand and four five, I think very much the same because, as I say, it, it had been a, quite a dispiriting campaign, two thousand three four, when you just felt everything was really starting to unravel under Gerard Uli, and um, you know Liverpool actually did quite well just to get. To, to get Champions League qualifications, if I seem to remember rightly, it was a bit of a battle between us and Newcastle, yeah, we'll and there was a potential last. We were reduced to play at Anfield on the last day, and that was being pitched as kind of like a winner-takes-all showdown. In much the same way that the previous season has ended, had ended with one of those at Stamford Bridge, which we lost, and Newcastle kind of flaked it in the last couple of weeks, and 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 it was done and dusted before that final match of the season, which ended one-one. <clears throat> and I think going into oh four oh five again, it was that similar thing of, well, let's get through to Christmas. where we beat Olympiacos with Gerard's fantastic goal, I think we were all delighted. But And it's easy to look back on it now and say, well, that was the saint STM moment. And, and that to us that is how I see it now. But I wouldn't have said that's how I was thinking of it in, two, in December 04. It was just a case of made up, we've got through. This will give this kind of... Sparing the blushes, really, if going sp- out. Yeah, yeah sparing the blushes, but also as well, this will hopefully give this kind of spluttering team that's very very much still trying to find its feet of the new manager and new way of doing things a little bit of a platform to build into the into the new year and if we can get to say to the quarterfinals and get fourth I'll, I'll and maybe win a cup i'll take that as a good season sure. there was no re- no real we'll get onto it later on I, I can i can tell you the exact moment when i just first started to think we're not going to win this are we but it wasn't yet
1: Well, coming next then, we'll get stuck in to all of the action here on the road to Istanbul.
0: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: Dan, you teased us and reeled us in there saying, when was the moment? It was the question I was literally just going to ask you next, saying, going out to Bayer Leverkusen, winning 3-1, getting into the last eight, Mm. you know now you're within a puncher's chance of going deep into this tournament.
0: Yeah. And... You know, been a football fan long enough and watched enough football to know that you know knockout football being what it is. Once you do, into, once you do get into those le- later knockout stages, there's always a puncher's chance. But to be honest, particularly when the draw was made and Liverpool were drawn with Juventus, obviously there was the, the very symbolic and and poignant fact that it was 20 years on since the tragedy of Heysel in 1985, and this was the first meeting between the two of them. But also, as someone that's always been a lover of Italian football as well. I very much felt when the draw was made. Well, this is probably as tough a draw as we could have got. We're home in the first leg, which is, we'd probably be, probably be away We'd probably prefer to be away away. Have the second leg at Anfield. I couldn't say that when we were drawn with the event, as I was thinking, I, I kind of thought, it well, this will pro- this will probably be the end of the road for us. I just hope we don't. I just hope we do ourselves justice and don't you know don't get battered five 0 home and away. Um, you know, the, the the moment when I first started to dream was actually ju- a moment during that first leg against Juventus, but maybe we'll save that for the next episode. Yeah,
1: hopefully you will uh, hear all about that. But talking of the game then against Bayer Leverkusen, two goals either side of the half-hour mark from that man, Luis Garcia, who really, as we mentioned even in the last episode, came into his own in this knockout phase, which mm. during the group stage, we spent so much time talking about how cagey the games that Liverpool were involved in that they were. Over the course of these two games, they score six goals, and Luis Garcia, if I'm right in saying,
0: gets himself over the tie at a hat trick. He does, and um, and they were all real, typical Garcia goals, really, where he just he had this. Tremendous ability that you know that some of the great goal scorers from midfield have of being able to ghost into positions, make these late runs that defenders and defensive midfielders find very difficult to pick up, and just having you know the nimbleness of feet and, and of mind to be able to 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 notch it in. I mean, as I say, I, I didn't watch the game live. I went and played. I went, I went and played football, but I, I, do, I do seem to remember kind of occasionally going over to check my phone very basic phones as they were then I think it was called WAP the kind of mobile inter- internet that they had then um, and from what I, from the report I don't know if I ever watched the 490 back but from what I can remember from reading the reports and I think a couple, one or two of my pals were out there and chatted to them afterwards I think as you would expect Leverkusen came at us fairly strongly from the start um, I guess by this stage you know early March the kind of defensive principles that Benitez had been trying to lay down into his team were hopefully starting to have some effect the fact that obviously Liverpool had a lead means that they didn't have to go chasing anything early on and it just seemed to be one of those occasions when Liverpool drew the early thing did the old time honored tradition of trying to quieten the home crowd and um managed to get two goals. If, uh, certainly, were they both from set pieces? I know the second one was, was from a corner. Was the first one from a, a quickly free kick? It was a cross on kick?
1: the right-hand side. I think it was, either, yeah, it was either a corner or a free kick right down by the corner flag. Mm. Rolled back to Gerrard, who just whips it in towards that near-post area. And he made Garcia a great near-post run, didn't yeah. he? And
0: just got his toe to the ball and direct, uh, directed it beyond Hans-Jörg, which obviously was the crucial away goal, gave Liverpool a 4-1 lead, lead on aggregate um, and made it that that bit tougher for, for for Leverkusen. That being said, I think they probably would have prepared themselves in the same way that I would imagine Liverpool will have to do on Wednesday night for Atletico. That, you know, obviously you're desperate to keep a clean sheet. You want a clean sheet, but if for whatever reason the opposition do get an away goal, well, and particularly if it if it's early enough, then you have got to be obdurous and strong enough mentally to deal with that and think, well, you know, we, we can't you can't just take your boots off and go home because they've got an away goal. You've got to still keep going, and I think at nil one. With how early, how early was this first 28th goal? T- 28. So, yeah, so within the first hour, Leverkusen may well have been thinking, well, obviously, this isn't what we wanted, but stay in the game if we can get ourselves level. Um, you know, extra time and penalties would, of course, still been on the cards yep. at that point. What was the game changer? It was four minutes later when Garcia poached the second goal and made it 0 2. Obviously, the second away goal on the night, which now meant that Leverkusen needed five, yeah, it would have been, yeah, yeah. Um, Again, it was a a real goal, Poachers' goal. Uh, This one definitely was from a set-piece, wasn't it? Yeah, corner. Played from the right-hand side. Igor Biscan, who had a a, a, a good impact in the first leg as well uh, and created the first goal for Garcia with a a slalom-esque midfield shimmy won a great header and Garcia ghosting in the six-yard box like all oh, good goal hangers like like I do on a Thursday night guys you remember <laughs> um, just nipped in in front of the goalkeeper got a touch to it and at 2-0 I think that was the really that was a killer blow for Leverkusen and um, they didn't you know from they didn't ever really how is Liverpool too any problems after that
1: No you mentioned the first goal and you wouldn't have known it was a crucial goal for Liverpool on the night even getting the away goal cancelling out the one that Leverkusen had got at Anfield by the reaction of Rafa Benitez I was watching the highlights before and he's just stood there on the sideline Almost as though he's the Leverkusen manager looking on, completely emotionless, just watching his side do what they do. But it was a game where Liverpool didn't then hold back. They took the game to Leverkusen. Gerrard, who obviously had missed the first leg. He played in the the Carling Cup finals, we've already referenced, against Newcastle. Third game back and now really up to speed and with those midfield drives and really running the pace of the game. Barry Glendenning was on the, the blog for The Guardian that night, as he so often has been throughout time and witnessed some really iconic moments and he said in his pre-match sort of musings that he that he put on that Nar Quinn had been on Sky saying that he thought Liverpool had a great chance but Barry completely disagreeing with that saying that he actually thought that this was a game that Liverpool were going to lose, he didn't know how many by and it actually was irrelevant what everyone says and then it gets sort of to the closing stages of the game where Liverpool have got a third from Milan Baros and he, he's got a reply in here saying please can we get some evidence of... Eat, of you eating some humble pie and he sort of saying he was happy to admit he was wrong and it's not the first time it's not the only time we've all been there and made predictions and yeah. they've all gone horribly wrong but he says I won't get too smug until I see what Liverpool turn up at Blackburn Rovers they went and drew that game which wasn't a classic for <laughs> Liverpool but it, it did as we've already referenced show that Liverpool on these European nights they got in the mood and obviously Barros completed the scoring for Liverpool
0: yeah he it, um, it, 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 for, for, by all accounts, the, the thing, another important aspect and kind of like memorable part of this night, and again, I wasn't there, but I do, I'm fairly certain that this is where one of the kind of like iconic Liverpool songs of that era, and ironically, I was watching an LFC TV documentary a couple of days ago. It's an old one talking about Liverpool's relationship with music and the football and how that's tied in. And. So someone referenced the fact that this particular period, the early 2000s, under, you know, the early years under Hudi and Benitas were quite a, uh, a fertile time for, for, for new songs coming about. And <laughs> I wouldn't say that the top of many people's kind of all-time great charts, but the status quo song, "Rocking All Over The World, was because, certainly in the run-up to Istanbul, there was a version of it going around, scouts all over the world. And I'm fairly certain that that's... Started in Leverkusen yeah. because all of a sudden, in the, in the domestic aways in the weeks after, all of a sudden, this was getting belted out. I, I, another thing I think is is also worth mentioning as well, and it ties into the kind of like the. I mean, you mentioned about Rafa being quite em- emotionless on the touchline, and I think, in many ways, that was that, we, that was almost like his calling card. What t- to me, one of the you know, an iconic memory of that. Of this run, and uh, you know that this, this particular night, I was on the cup but watched watched it back a million times afterwards. In the aftermath of Gerard's screamer against Olympia Olympiacos, which obviously was such a massive goal, in the, the immediate aftermath, I think the, the camera pans to the bench, and there's Rafa completely deadpan, turned round, uh, but actually did give a steward a big hug, which for which for Rafa was basically as, as demonstrative as you're ever going to get. But the night before, uh, Liverpool played Leverkusen. Obviously, in the same way that they are now, Champions League games were staggered over consecutive nights for TV. And I'm pretty sure the night before, Manchester United lost their home to, to AC Milan, who obviously would go on to the final to, to, to play Liverpool. But anyway, Rafa... Uh, uh, you know, the uh, various Liverpool fans had already travelled out to Germany uh, in advance of the game. We were out watching the match, having a few levies the night before the game. And Rafa... Uh, Strange as it may sound, presumably they were in a hotel which didn't have the game on, so Rafa went out to find a bar to watch it in, and found him in a bar, found himself in a bar with loads of Liverpool fans, and, I've, and obviously got mobbed. And there was a couple of pictures and videos that, went, that did the rounds. But when the, you know, the news of this kind of filtered back, it did very much kind of it helped kind of flesh out who this guy was because yeah. you know I'd only really vaguely heard of him when he arrived the summer before and he'd done well with Valencia, won them a couple of leagues and any way for cup. And then he'd come in and obviously, you know, he could be quite a kind of stern or stare character, Rafa. And obviously, you know, he had his his footballing beliefs and his beliefs about how the, the, the squad should be both as footballers and as people. And you know, and as we've got to know more about him over the years, particularly Stephen Gerrard, who's talked quite candidly about the subject, who he kind of like in some ways felt it. he was almost like Rafa was quite cold to him, yep. but that was maybe Rafa's way of getting the best out of him. But when you heard things about this, like your yeah, Rafa was you know having t- getting selfies with well, selfies weren't even a thing back then, but pictures, mm-hmm. mobile phone pictures with fans in a bar. It,
1: it kind of flip phones as well back then,
0: yeah, <laughs> Motorola's and all that. Um, it, but it kind of like helped strip away some of this kind of like maybe slightly distant. Perception that that people had him. Mean, obviously, as time went on of his Liverpool reign, we obviously got to see that there was a lot more to the man than just um, just being a, a stern football manager. That you know, in a footballing sense, how you know, and this is in no way critical of him, but I think he was quite a conservative manager in terms of his approach, and to, certainly as opposed to to somebody like Jurgen Klopp. But he was a multifaceted character, uh, yeah, and I think it says a lot the fact that it's what it's it'll be ten years in June. Since he left his post as Liverpool manager in June 2010, yet he's still, I think, very much not just admired and, and liked, but loved by a lot of Liverpool fans, and I think that is because of the human side to him, uh, not just his support for things like the Hillsborough campaign. Um, but I've actually I've said for years and years, to, you know, and as someone that was lucky enough to be in Istanbul when Liverpool won it, to me Rafa's greatest legacy to Liverpool wasn't just being wasn't just Istanbul, and you know, setting in training you know, a, a good period for us in the middle and end of that decade he was the one really that was the first one to truly shine a light on the damage Hicks and Gillette were doing behind the scenes to the club and I, you know I, without going off too on too much of a tangent I think ultimately that actually came at a cost to his own ability to do his job because he became so consumed and wrapped up in the politics that that unfortunately things didn't really play out the way that they should have done for him but you know as a, as a supporter and as you know someone that was obviously aware not just through my job here at the echo but as you know as a member of Spirit of Shankley of how severe and and potentially catastrophic that situation was from the club, I will always be very grateful to him for that, and you know and i don 't think i 'm alone in that
1: yeah and different as you say that personal connection that I think so important for Liverpool managers to get with the Liverpool fan base, but not done in the way that we may well see Jurgen Klopp do on Wednesday night against Atletico Madrid, or very much how Simeone did for Atletico in the reverse game at the Wanda Metropolitano. It wasn't about being on the edge of the technical area, all Shear energy. And all it, all was that, actually, yeah. it was actually the human stuff he did away from the football mm. that really tied him ever more to the football
0: club. Yeah, and, and behind the scenes. And I think yeah. having an appreciation of what the club is, what it represents, to the city. You know, I've, I'm always a bit reluctant to go on about. You know, know there's, there's a tagline the club like to use. This means more.
1: Yeah, I think Crossed
0: it on the bus, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, I'm not a massive fan of it. I think it, it, the, the club get an awful lot right these days. I think the tone of this stuff is spot on, but it, it, it just kind of it, it bridles me a little bit back because I kind of think for most clubs, they have their, they have their the things that are important to them, their values, the things that they hold close. And you know, I, I, personally, I find that a little jarring, but the reality is, Leo you know, Liverpool is is a unique club because of the history, on and off the pitch, and everything that comes along with it. And I think you know, I think Rafa was aware of that when he came into the club, but I do not think he could probably really have had a. I don't think anyone could really have a true understanding of it until you're here, until you're living in the city, week after week, month after month, living with the you know the the the, the slings and arrows of, out, of outrageous fortune that that football and life throws you away. And, of course, this was still very much within the first year, but just it's only a small little instance, and, and, it, and it got nothing like the coverage then in 2005 than it would have done now. I mean, nowadays, there'd be a million videos and pictures and articles about it. It was just the odd, grainy little mobile phone photograph that, you know, there wasn't even Twitter and Facebook, weren't even a thing back in 2005. But it did get out, and I, and I, and I do remember kind of, you know, People talking about at the time thinking, yeah, he you know, he he gets it, Rafa. And you know, as time would go on, we, we would we would see to you know to just what extent.
1: Well Liverpool beating Bale Everkusen then to make it through to the last eight of the Champions League. We'll have to wait a month or so to uh, bring you the next episode here on the road to Istanbul, as we hope, Dan of course, that Liverpool for twenty
0: twenty uh through to the last eight as well. Fingers crossed, it's gonna be a tough game on Wednesday, but um you'd just like to think hopefully the momentum the the, the results over the weekend with Liverpool winning and City losing just might just have given us that little bit of a, a bounce going into Wednesday but it'll be it's all set up to be another great Anfield night so yeah here's hoping
1: Well, momentous and obviously historic meeting next up on the road to Istanbul as Juventus and Liverpool met for the first time, of course, since the Heysel tragedy, which marred the European Cup final back in 1985 between the two sides. I've been Guy Clark, Dan Kay alongside me. And uh, until next time, it's bye for now.
0: You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.